So we got told that if any athlete was to be seen yeah. in McDonald's, there's a McDonald's on site in yeah. the Paralympic Village. There's a McDonald's in a Paralympic yeah. Village? Yeah, and it's free. Amazing. So you that, can pay. that makes absolutely no... No, I know. My name is Nick Nagarko and you are locked into Culture TV. For the culture, by the culture. Let's go. Carly, thanks so much for coming down today. Thank you for having me. I'm nice. excited. So, what I found so amazing about your story is, so correct me if I'm wrong, mm. you went to watch the London Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. And then decided to become a Paralympian or an, a, an Olympic athlete, basically. Just off going to visit that, the Olympics. Is that correct? Yeah, so I don't know what you know about right. sort of my life or um, sort of prior to that. But... Yeah. Um, I hadn't really seen disability sport on telly before, so I right. couldn't tell you how Beijing went or anything like that. Yeah. I don't recall seeing disabled people on the TV. Yeah. So you'd never um, seen the Paralympics before? No. It, I, to be honest, the Paralympics was never on much of mainstream TV. Right. So you you might have seen the tokenistic right. race. Yeah. Um, and it was predominantly a male race yeah. that you would see, but you would not see any sort of build-up. You would not see any sort of marketing campaign mm -hmm. behind it. Um, and there was a lack of awareness and education. So even myself, if I did see a glimpse of something on the TV, mm -hmm. I would assume that that person maybe didn't have the same disability as me. Right. Or... Um, particularly for wheelchair racers, for example. Right. If I saw a wheelchair racer on the TV, yeah. I would just assume that they didn't have any legs right. because you can't see them. Yeah. So I just never really um, identified at all yeah. in, in that way. And you're right. So I saw it on the TV. Yeah. Obviously, it was the Olympics first. And yeah. because it was London, everywhere was just awash, wasn't it? Yeah, with yeah, yeah. Celebration. Yeah. Even the office was yeah. buzzing about it. And then if you remember, people didn't want it to end. Yeah. And then they started latching onto the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah. And people were starting to buy tickets. Yeah. And then I'd see in the media that, oh, my goodness, Paralympic tickets are sold out for the first time ever. Wow. Then Channel 4 started their superhuman campaign. Yeah. And that had a massive impact on me. So to see disabled people being included yeah. in a sort of really glamorous, really sort of sexy uh, marketing campaign yeah. and it be on mainstream TV, I was like, wow, that, that had such an impact on me. Yeah. And then managed to get a ticket. I think it cost me like a thousand pounds for me and my and a friend yeah. to go to the closing ceremony. Right. And I thought, I'm just going to do it. I don't care. It's not going to be in London mm -hmm. in our lifetime, possibly again. And I'd seen bits on the TV and um, the whole attempt at creating awareness and education around disability mm -hmm. was massive because actually, you know, the classifications are really difficult to understand. And yeah. You don't necessarily think, oh, that person's got cerebral palsy yeah. or that person's visually impaired or, yeah. or whatever. And there was a big education piece around it. So yeah. when I saw that all these athletes have cerebral palsy, yeah. some of them run, some of them can't run, some yeah. of them do wheelchair racing, some of them do throwing, yeah. it just opened up a whole new world of 
opportunities for me. Wow. So literally you were there and that something in you was triggered. And then from that point you went home and, and then what happened? So you, you left London, yeah. got back to Manchester. Yeah, I actually left London injured what? because I um, I was a bit silly. Yeah. I was just excited yeah. and I overdid it. Yeah. I ended up in A&E right. with um, almost like a, a severely sprained tendon. And wow. I would actually... Um, immobile right. and at that point you know i had the crutch yeah. every now and then but yeah. i wasn't a wheelchair user yeah. and i would predominantly you know independent yeah. and then all of a sudden the day before i was meant to go to the closing ceremony mm. i was hobbling around in tears yeah. I, I knew i couldn't make it yeah there because was, you sprained ankle with my ankle yeah yeah and so i got a taxi to the stadium which was as near as i could get it which yeah. was probably about half a mile away yeah my friend went into the stadium to get loads of game makers yeah. out of the stadium to yeah. come and get me in like a golf buggy right they did they got me in this golf buggy yeah. and i literally got vip treatment to the minute i set you know foot on the um the javelin which was the sort of you know the um the tube yeah but for um, the event yeah and it, it was just and I came back from London having had that seen the closing ceremony and straight away I said to this friend that I went with I'm going to be a wheelchair racer and they, they honestly they just any friend that I said that to in yeah. the first two weeks of me returning just yeah. laughed their heads off yeah. I was a smoker yeah I, you know I had so a bit you weren't of a athletic habit. at all just Terrible. I was in really poor health. I didn't have any. I was allergic to exercise. People just would. It was a running joke in yeah. my sort of group of uni friends. You yeah. know, I didn't go to the gym. Yeah. The extent of my exercise was probably walking to the fridge. Right. And back. And <laughs> um, yes, heavy smoker, party animal. I lived to work, work to live. Yeah. And that was, you know, spending the weekends on the couch hungover, yeah. that would be me. Yeah. And so obviously they were, they had that picture of me yeah. in their head and they were like, there is absolutely no way yeah. that you can rewire yourself and become, become somebody else to to achieve that To ambition. compete on the world stage four years later in Rio. Yeah, with the same girls that were on the London 2012 wow. start line. So that was epic. That is mad. Yeah, so I knew... I even knew at that point when I left that to do it, yeah. I had to catch up. Yeah. So I knew that it wasn't just enough for me to, to train like dip them. my toe in it. Yeah. I, knew, I knew I had to find a coach, rent the equipment, change my habits overnight, go and find a club, train and, and build it up. And so, just... so, so, then, so, so tell me about that then. So you, you're now back here, you've made this decision, you've got a sprained ankle, yeah. can't do nothing. So what then? So, uh, to, to be honest, it, it was a bit of a whirlwind. So right. I just knew I had this sort of really ambitious goal yeah. in my head. And, you know, I'd seen a glorified edit of what an athlete was like. Mm -hmm. So obviously... Um, I'm a bit of a marketer's dream, so mm. it's very easy to sell me something. Yeah. And I just had that picture in my head of mm -hmm. glory, like, yeah. this is something that you can do, yeah. evidently, because there's people on the TV <clears throat> doing it. Yeah. 
you don't need head starts at you know sports days anymore you don't need to be the last person picked in a team yeah which as a child yeah absolutely ruins your confidence yeah it ruins your confidence to be the 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 odd one out mm. um and i just thought no this is my this is my route this is the way that i'm gonna um prove to everybody that i can do it yeah so i literally just rang around clubs yeah. Found a coach, luckily, who yeah. uh, trained in Stockport. And he was like, he must have had quite a bit of interest off the back of the Paralympics because yeah. there was quite an influx of new people. Yeah. And he was really, um, he was quite um, straight up with me mm. and said, right, okay, I can get you to the Paralympics, but you need to put everything into this. Yeah. You need to put your life on hold. For four years. For four years, and you just need to do what I say. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, quite difficult for me to do yeah. what people say. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I was like, I'll do it. Um, and he said, but come down. So, yeah. I went down to the track, yeah. and um, I was like, this is going to be so easy. And it was a shock. It really was not easy. I couldn't even get into the wheelchair wow. that he had. I could not fit my bum into that chair. Yeah. And he's like, that's the biggest one I've got. Right. And he said, you're going to have to do some work on yourself. He said, get in that day chair. I call them day chairs, yeah. which is just a self-propelled chair yeah. that um, that you see people in. Yeah. A sports wheelchair has three wheels. You've yeah. got one on the front and yeah. two on the back. He said, get in that day chair and just push yourself on the track. It must have taken me a good 10 minutes to get to around do, the track. To do 400 meters. Wow. I could, when I left sport, when I yeah. retired sport, I could do 400 meters in 64 seconds. Really? So to do 400 meters in 64 seconds was minutes. a massive difference yeah. to doing my first 400 meters yeah. in a day chair in 10 minutes. <laughs> it was laughable. I don't know how, I don't know how I came back. So what did you, what, when you, so when you get in that day chair and you're going around in 10 minutes, what, what was going through your head? Like, have I bitten off more than I can chew it or? Yeah, definitely um, overwhelmed, worry, fear, because at the time where I was doing this 400 metres round the track, mm. there was all the athletes going round the track, yeah. bombing it yeah. at like 20 mile an hour. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, how am I going to get to that point? Yeah. Uh, I was quite naive yeah. to start with. Yeah. I didn't understand the... Um, the difficulty or the yeah. journey that I would go on yeah. to become elite. Yeah. And that was actually hard to overcome. Yeah. So I was investing all this into my, you know, into the physical side of it. Yeah. So, you know, eating better, stop smoking, yeah. turned up to training when I, t you know, when I got told to turn up to training yeah. and I hadn't invested anything in the mental side. Right. And, the knockbacks and the slow progress really um, was difficult to shake. Right. When I had my first competitive race, yeah. I think I'd only been doing racing for six months yeah. at this point. So just six months from like making the decision to your first competitive race? Yeah. It was in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. It's quite a well-known arena. Yeah. Um, I panicked yeah. at the sound of the gun. Yeah. And every bit of training went out of my head. Yeah. And I got beat. I came last. And I got beat by an 11-year-old. <laughs> <sighs> Devastated. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, 
I'm not doing this. <laughs> not doing this. And I flounced off to yeah. the car <clears throat> and I refused to come out of the car. Wow. And my coach's <clears throat> uh, partner at mm. the time had to come to the car and coach me out. And she said, you can do this. Yeah. You've just, that was your first race. So imagine somebody that never yeah. had any background in sport who avoided sport at all costs yeah. would also have a helper yeah. at school to, to actually take part in sport. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> I used to play rounders, for example, because, <clears throat> because yeah. I was forced to play rounders. Yeah. I would hit the ball and my helper would run around the bases for right. me. That was the extent of my competitive sport experience. Yeah. So she just said, You've never done it before. You didn't know how that gun would make you feel. Yeah. You didn't know what adrenaline yeah. would do for you. So was that what it was? You, you, the gun went and then you just felt all, you would just get a rush of adrenaline and then... It was the adrenaline. Yeah, and I think it was the build-up of the nerves. Yeah. And that followed me for the whole season, the whole first season. So even though I got better and better, yeah. the, the thought of going back for a second season mm. was too... Um, anxiety inducing yeah. and I thought to myself I can't keep investing in the physical side of it yeah. and not invest in the mental side of it yeah. so at that point I got a um, high performance coach right so what did so tell me about that then so you had the high performance coach what what did they bring to the table for you to make you turn that corner so I worked with a fantastic coach called Martin Hall and Martin had worked with a lot of um, sports people mm -hmm. um, prior to me. I was his first sort of rodeo in terms of disabled sport. Yeah. And I think I actually presented a bit of a challenge to him right. because <clears throat> as somebody growing up with a disability, yeah. I had internalised mm -hmm. a lot of ableism. Right. And a lot of negative opinions and thoughts about myself mm -hmm. that other people might have, I internalized all of it. Okay. So he helped me to see that you have to rewire your neurological pathways. Right. And as you can imagine, from the, the day I was born, mm -hmm. where doctors were pretty much saying whatever she can do is a bonus. We don't know how she's going to turn out. Yeah. To the day I left school, yeah. it was all, she can't do this, she can't do that. I was prohibited from joining it, joining in and a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And he had to really, he had his work cut out. He had to basically help me to find those strategies to build my own self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. So, did you find, did you discover that, during that process that there were more issues that you'd built up over the years since being a child that you hadn't even quite realized were there on the surface yeah he did he he managed to sort of work out my problem areas mm -hmm. but he also which a lot of it was around self-doubt and mm -hmm. self-belief which yeah. is actually a common theme in a lot of athletes anyway yeah. but he also discovered that as well as self-belief, it was the, the lack of role model. Right. So the lack of being able to see it being done yeah. in my circle or... Yeah. Seeing, is, of... seeing is believing, isn't it? Yeah. So and obviously... you see someone I... else do it, it gives you that feeling that you can do it too. Yeah. And I, I had had that at the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, fast forward a year... 
that starts to fade. you know it fades yeah and so he always kept bringing me back to that point of you saw it you believed it mm-hmm. and so as well as working on the self-doubt mm-hmm. he did a lot of visualization strategies right so he was like what's your end goal what does good look like and i kept saying good is winning right so he kept saying you need to visualize getting over that start line yeah um you know getting over the finish line first you need to visualize a good start Mm -hmm. so for 100 meters if you don't have a good start you 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 pretty much lost the race yeah and so i would fail at the start Mm. i would literally like slip Mm. um especially if it was wet i I, I just wasn't very good at controlling Mm. those emotions on the start so he did a lot of a lot of that type of work to get me to calm down yeah and just breathe he also helped me to see the benefit in the small margins so the power of small margins okay you're not gonna get from you know a to z in 60 seconds yeah and he did a lot of work to help me break down the goal right so actually he helped me realize that even when you're failing yeah you are winning because yeah. success is not that straight line that no. everybody thinks it is no success i I always say this i always feel like success is a series of failures i like that but, i think it's true yeah but slightly less failures at each point because every even you could even argue that winning if it wasn't in the time that you wanted was a failure yeah. Do you see and what I mean? It depends. I mean, it's pretty like negative mindset, but like a lot of athletes are like that. Like yeah. I have seen people um, PB and win the race, but yeah. be gutted it's not a world record. Right. Um, and I'm like, you know, but yeah. I'm coming from it in from a very sort of um, late entry into mm-hmm. sport. I've not had the benefit of coming into sport at you know grassroots yeah, being. Yeah. 14 onwards yeah. I came you had into, zero muscle memory well yeah nothing i had <laughs> i came into sport at 27 yeah. obviously i've retired now yeah but i've still luckily got like um some good shoulder definition that yeah. stayed everything else had gone <laughs> but i've got shoulders i've got the shoulders so you had this high performance coaching and so you, had, you did your first season which was a flop yeah it was a massive flop and then you wanted to quit so now that's, that's, so that's year one. You've got four years to the mm-hmm. Olympics. So year two, you go back, but you've had this high performance training over the winter, I'm guessing? Yeah. So I, I once I started working with Martin, yeah. I carried on that relationship until after I retired. Right. So he was with me all the time. Right. Um, he was part of, he was a fundamental part of my training program. Right. Because your brain needs training yeah. as much as the physical. As the body. Yeah, exactly. So he was just part, you know, I would schedule it in yeah. every two weeks. It was yeah. like, you know, we need a session. Yeah. I would also have a lot of learnings to build into my work. Right. So I would have to, you know, sit there and think about, well, what went right in that race? Mm-hmm. What went wrong in mm. that race? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was definitely, it was a four-year plan of working. So at at what point did you start to see, what can I say, like, did you start to see yourself turning the corner? Because because it all went so quickly, because Mm. I was basically getting up to the level of elite athlete 
in as little as three years. Yeah. It, it's quite a blur yeah. because it, the speed I was going at, not, you know, no pun. <laughs> <laughs> was, by the way, it was fast. And I, to, to achieve it, I just... I, I didn't have a break, so I didn't see friends, I didn't see family. Yeah. I had no social life. I quit work in yeah. my last year. So I actually quit work completely in 2015. Yeah. And I think it was the cusp of 2014, 2015, yeah. where I started to become known. Right. And I knew in 2015 that if I didn't quit work, yeah. that I wouldn't be able to make it to Rio. Because right. at that point, I was only, this is how crazy it is at that point i was only top 10 right in the uk uh for my class yeah, yeah. but to get selected mm -hmm. you needed to be top three right at least and then there's a whole bunch of other criteria that's attached yeah. to that yeah so at the point where i was working full time and training full time I was working five days a week and training six days a week. Right. So I'd get on the track after work, yeah. spend two hours there, yeah. go home. Yeah. Luckily, my partner was just on hand. He was a very good support network. Mm. He was making my tea, yeah. shouting at me to get Epsom salts in the bath, yeah. you know, all that type of thing. Yeah. So when I quit work in 2015, my training just went through the roof. It went from six days a week, once a day, to 12 times a week. Wow. So I was a full-time athlete in 2015. Wow. It's quite a big jump just to go from getting beat by an 11-year-old in yeah. Sheffield to being top 10 in the UK. Even like, just that alone is massive. How did you get from bit getting beat by an 11-year-old at 27 to, yeah. to just getting, like, what was, what was those, what was that key moment from being, like, pretty crap at this mm. to being, like, actually, maybe there is a chance I'm not as bad as I thought? Do you remember that particular moment? I do remember one particular race where the work had started to pay off, yeah. both with both the work on the track and the work with Martin. Mm. And it was actually the first um, race that my partner attended right. um, with me. Yeah. Actually, that's a lie. The first race that he attended, I was so nervous about him being there because yeah. he'd never seen or gone out with anybody that used the wheelchair. Yeah. I actually... Um, fluffed it yeah. and stopped pushing halfway through the race right. because I was like, oh my God, I've, I've failed. Yeah, yeah. And that was embarrassing. Yeah. So I thought to myself, that's not going to happen next time he sees me race. Yeah. And so I invited him and I said, can you come with me to Stoke Mandeville, which is the birthplace of the Paralympics? Um, which is, you wouldn't think that, but Stoke Mandeville's got a hospital right. there and it's got a track there yeah. and it's the birthplace of... Um, the movement. Right. And I said to him, there's a race in Stoke Mandeville. It's one of the fastest tracks we've got in the UK. Yeah. Please be my sort of, you know, be my roadie and yeah. come and support me. And that was the race that I had PB'd quite well in. Right. Um, Did you win it? 
I did. I think I came second. Yeah. I couldn't win it because wherever I would race, yeah. the world record holder would also race. We're good friends now. Right. And um, but <laughs> she was always there. She's a world record holder. She was a world record holder in 2012. So right. it was it was hard to catch up to her. Right. Um, but I, I think I came second. But for me, it didn't really matter where I came because yeah. um, even if I'd have come last but PB'd, yeah, that would have been That's significant. Yeah. And that's how I felt. I PB'd, it was a big one, and I was just so happy to get under a certain barrier. Yeah. Because that's what you're doing. You're chasing yeah. all the time. Yeah. Metaphorically and physically, you're chasing to close the gap. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a turning point for me. That was probably... 2013 so yeah. only a year but to be fair the change came from the hard work right it was day in day out mm -hmm. grueling it, it was pushed till your hands bleed yeah you know and um i would come home from the track most nights crying because someone beat me or i wasn't going as fast as somebody and i yeah. just used it as fuel yeah um because i hate failing yeah um and that yeah, I just used it as power to push on. So, so in 2014, 2015, you quit work. Mm. You're number 10 in the UK. You've got to get up seven places to be in the top three. What was that final push like to get from 10 to three? So rather than just training mm. in that sort of short three-hour window that you've got after work... Mm. I had to um, redo the training program so and work with a coach and also uh, British Athletics mm -hmm. to fill my now available time with nothing but training from the minute you open your eyes to the minute that you go to bed. And training isn't just about pushing. So I would probably push on average about at least the minimum was 10k a day but, yeah a day yeah. but it it more it was more like half a marathon right a day um, but you would also have your recovery and that's what's really important is that your recovery is also part of your plan right and i wasn't recovering when i was working full time because i wouldn't i wasn't having that downtime mm -hmm. i wasn't doing you know, my stretching properly. I mm -hmm. wasn't doing my sports massages. Yeah. Um, I wasn't eating particularly well, as mm -hmm. well as I should have been. Mm -hmm. um, and that all came down to having such little time. Yeah. So Like food prep, having to then go to work. Yeah. Come, yeah it, None of that. It's and a often lot, isn't it? I worked for a food retailer. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I would just have to go down to the shop and get whatever was in the shop mm. that day and that's not fuel for an no. athlete um so yeah that all completely changed so having 24 7 dedication mm. helped me to build in everything that was missing yeah and that's what elevated me and i could also attend more races right so the more races you do the more times you get the more prep you um that you have the more mm -hmm. competitive prep you have yeah the more chances you've got of getting your times down. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's your times yeah. that are the core element of your selection. Right. So I just basically, I was on the road every week. Right. Doing races and things like that. Whereas when you're working and you've got deadlines at work, mm. you know, you can't do that. Yeah. So 
Do you remember the moment you got told you were selected for Team GB? I do because it was a, it was a, it was a, um, it was a bit of a nightmare of a day to be yeah. honest. So um, I had a bit of a bumpy ride to get selected. Um, we all got told that we would be told on a certain day. Yeah. So and that's the same for all of the athletic um, team. So yeah. when I say athletics, I mean track and field. Yeah. So, you know, your throwers, yeah. your jumpers, yeah. and, you know, your runners or your yeah. racers. So the whole, the whole, the Hundreds whole team. Hundreds of us yeah. <laughs> just waiting there patiently to yeah. see if, and they said to us, you'll find out about, you'll find out by, uh, I think it was 8 p.m. Right. And obviously I'm sat there all day. Wait. But I'm also talking to other athletes. Yeah. We're all going like, have you heard? Yeah. Oh, I've heard this person's heard. Right. And it's like, <laughs> it's like Chinese whispers. And yeah. you're all just sort of putting, you know, two and two and making, you know, five. And yeah. you're all just, it was stressful. And yeah. I actually got my call towards the back end of the day. Right. And I just knew, I knew it was a no. And I got told, no, you're not coming. What? And now it's a story and a half. So um, the coach, the head coach at Britain um, called Paula, Paula Dunn. Paula's yeah. a, um, a retired athlete herself. And Paula said, I'm so sorry. I, you've not made it. And I was, and do you know, it was strange because I was expecting it because it was quite late in the day. Yeah. And I knew some of my friends had been told to do it in. Right. And so I was expecting it. Hmm. And I, I think I just went into massive denial. Yeah. To be honest. Because one of my friends at the very start of my journey had said, you get out what you put in. Right. And I, again, just carried that mantra with me the whole time. And I just thought to in. myself, there's no way that I can do this, give up my life, do what I've done and, and not, not get there. So I kind of just didn't let it sink in for a couple of days. And I was on my own in the flat. Um, Matthew, my partner, he was at his mum's or something. Yeah. And it was really late. It was like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I hadn't put anything on social media. And Paula rang me again. Right. And she just said, oh, I'm just ringing to see how you are because I know it's really hard news and, and I just, you know, I wanted to know how you are. And I said, oh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm fine, I'm disappointed and devastated, but I don't know, something's not right. Mm. And she said, well, okay, well, I just wanted to let you know that I've managed to get you in. What? And I was like, <laughs> what? What do you mean? And there was some sort of like logistics, you know, behind the scenes yeah. and, they, and they managed to, um, they, the space came available. I think at this point I was like a second reserve. So right. if somebody was ill yeah. um, or couldn't make it for whatever reason, I would go in. But I, I, and I even said this at the time to Paula, I said, there's absolutely no chance that somebody's going to be ill and not go so even if you are ill you're, gonna you're just go. gonna go yeah and so she was like mm. so i was second reserve but it um they'd managed to free up a space i think yeah. there was a bit of rejigging yeah. um across the board of right. other countries right and there was a maybe i don't know a little trade or something yeah. i'm not really sure how it worked and they said yeah you've got in and i was like 
absolutely amazing. Tears. Yeah. She hung up. Yeah. And I'm like, there's nobody in the flat to hug. <laughs> there's nobody around. Yeah. And I, I was just like, oh. So I just got in the car yeah. and drove straight over to like um, my partner's mum's and called him down and I played a little joke on him. I yeah. played a joke on everybody actually yeah. <laughs> for about three days afterwards because everyone had, everyone knew and they yeah. were all like, oh, how are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, mm, I'm fine. So I played a joke on him and yeah. I was like, oh, no, that's what I'm in. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind to be honest. Wow. Imagine being told no and then not giving up <laughs> after the no and then being told yes. You manifested that. Do you think? Yeah. With my Maybe because I think you didn't believe it was a no, did you? In no, your not heart. really. I didn't like start. Oh, I believe in stuff like that. I believe that. I believe that what you believe happens. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? If you truly believe it here, not like if you just, oh, like, not <laughs> up here. It can't come from here. It's got to come from here. But if mm. you really truly believe something, the universe has a way of making it happen. Mm. It was four years. It Four years of Four just, years of effort mm. builds up a lot of energy behind it. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And it wasn't a slow burner either. It had to be all or nothing mm. from the minute I came back from London. Yeah. So it wasn't, oh, I'll just see how I like this and see yeah. how I go. Yeah, my toe in. I was, was completely serious wow. from the minute. And, you know, I would, all, I would fundraise for everything that I needed, you yeah. know, because Parrot Athletics is so expensive. Yeah. Uh, and there's no sponsorship deals. You yeah. know, I didn't have the benefit of the Olympians who have, you know, Adidas and Nike after did the, them. Did the sponsorship deals come once you got into team into the Olympics? Um, they did. They did from private investors, right. not brands. Right. And I think that is the disparity between Olympic and Paralympic. Mm -hmm. We would see Olympians getting all this sort of free stuff. Yeah. So, for example, when I made it into the Paralympic Village. Yeah. Absolutely buzzing. Got to the flat and we had this like little welcome pack. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's this welcome pack? And it was um like it was oh what was it? It was a oh an extension cable. Right. And um an extension cable and a selfie, you know, like a selfie stick. Yeah. Um and something something else that was equally yeah. a bit naff. Yeah. And then word had got around mm. and we found out that um, the Olympians were getting like a Samsung phone and, and things like this yeah. and just really nice lucrative gifts. Yeah. And I, I was like, how come we don't have that? How come we're getting a selfie stick? And how a, come we're getting a selfie stick? I don't want a phone want charger. <laughs> and, and it was, I thought it was actually like really offensive. Yeah. Um, and actually my experience in the Paralympic Village was positive. But it wasn't what I thought it was. Right. Because actually I had seen Paralympics on the telly. Yeah. And it's not as it is on the telly. It's, yeah. it's an edited version of Glory. So yeah. um, my interpretation and also the sort of the unfairness of a few things mm -hmm. between Olympians and Paralympians just um, highlighted to me mm why we have such a need mm. in the UK, but also elsewhere for just increasing disability awareness and disability yeah. inclusion. I'm really passionate about it. Yeah. Um, because it didn't represent the work that we had put in. Yeah. 
because we put in the same work as, as the Olympians yeah. and it just wasn't and even actually on the start line mm. of my race in Rio yeah that was a bit of a moment as well uh, we did a little warm-up um loop yeah. and because it's televised you don't get um time to just you know warm up properly yeah i mean you do behind the scenes but you don't get much track time you're right. on you're off that's yeah. how it goes yeah and there was a sea of like yellow and green yeah. and i saw like maybe like a tiny little dot of blue on the home straight and yeah. i was like that's my family because <laughs> they had like blue t-shirts and it said like team tate on oh, it nice. and i could see them and i could hear them going like Carly, but the only reason why I heard them, because I've got hearing impairments, so I can't hear anything, <laughs> um, is because because they kept saying Carly, Carly, yeah. everybody else around them started shouting Carly wow. on the home straight. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a that was um, a definite moment. How did of, that first race go? Tell me. How did that first race go? So I actually only went to Rio for the one race. Yeah. Um, that was the race that I was selected. And I came... In the, it was a final, yeah. so I came sixth. That's not too bad, is it? Actually, in the out world. Of, yeah, and I, I was pretty tough for that. I was like, I just didn't want to come last, and yeah. and again, that's not the mindset of an athlete either. Yeah. Not wanting to come last. Yeah, you're meant to want to come first. Yeah, and I think that's partly the reason why I went on to do another year to yeah. do worlds as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, so I did the Paralympics and then I, I trained for another year to do the World Championship because the World Champs were at the London Stadium. Right. And I wanted to do that 360. Right. Of coming back. Yeah. And actually in London, that was the same start line. I yeah. knew where I was sitting in the stand yeah. and I had a bit of a moment and yeah. I looked at it, saw myself on the start line yeah. and I thought I can do better than Rio. Yeah. And I did, I got, I got to fifth. And I did better, and I did the 400 and the 800 as well, so wow. I did more races. And I think at that point, I had done enough. Yeah. You know, I, I don't did think... Did you feel like mission accomplished here? Yeah, yeah. And how has it changed your, like, all of that mental training, physical training? How has that, how has that changed you now, like, four years later? I don't let many things hold me back anymore mm -hmm. i'm not so much of a, a procrastinator anymore and i yeah. do just find a way around it so i wanted civilian life back mm. that's what i call it yeah. when you get back to normal life and you can eat what you want yeah i and wanted did yeah I did. <laughs> after so we got told that if any athlete was to be seen yeah. in mcdonald's there's a mcdonald's on site in yeah. the paralympic village there's a mcdonald's in the paralympic yeah. village yeah and it's free <laughs> amazing so that, you can that makes absolutely not no i know but you get you basically it's free you can get anything you want um there's a queue obviously there's um, a queue but i was in a wheelchair that i'll stay here all day so these olympic day. athletes are eating mcdonald's as we're about to like compete for the biggest race yeah, of the life. Yeah, obviously, I do think, so this is what we were told. They said like, you know, if we see you in there, mm. before you finish competing, yeah. we're gonna come down hard on you and we'll probably send you home. So, you know, you couldn't just take the milk. Go in there and have a, no. have a milkshake. No, no. So um, on the day, so the day that I had finished yeah. and all that worry and that, that, all of that anxiety because I had that sort of, um, I was terrible with race nerves. Yeah. Always was, always will be, I think. Yeah. 
and I just parked myself in that McDonald's queue and I was like, I am eating a feast. And I literally got like chicken nuggets, burgers, and I got loads of stuff yeah. and it was like a picnic. Yeah. And I just went and sat with this <laughs> massive McDonald's. <laughs> so when I returned to civilian life, I was like, I just want some normality back. Yeah. I want to see some friends. Yeah. But also I want a baby and I, yeah. I want to start a family. Yeah. And pre prior to sort of being an athlete, I would worry about stuff like that. Do you think that gave you the confidence to be able to go and do it? Yeah, I'm a partner as well. He was a massive support network for me during the um, during my ambition of being an athlete, and mm -hmm. I didn't. Act, I took it for granted a lot. Actually, the people that you need around you. Yeah. You know, you don't just need your coaches. Yeah. You need your family and your friends. Yeah. You need them to build you up. So yeah. he did a huge amount of that, and his family did, to be honest. Um, and. It was the same with, okay, let's start a family. Yeah. Because it was um, an unknown. And I think everyone's fearful of the unknown. Mm. But because I found the strength to do what I was doing yeah. with athletics, I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to do it. Because you know, what baby mm. and what child is going to be bothered yeah. that their mom had a, won a wonky walk? Yeah. Like, they're not really. Not bothered, it's no. not that big a deal. No. Being in a wheelchair is not that big a deal to children. But they will be bothered the fact that you went to, to Rio. Yeah, well, he doesn't know yet. But he will do though. No, I think I, that will I hope so. that will like forever inspire him that his mum was a Paralympian. Well, actually, I can't remember what we were saying the other day, but the, we said something about oh, that was it. I needed some waterproofs. Yeah. For going, you know, because we've had terrible weather at the yeah, minute. Yeah. I wanted to go to Nosley Safari Park yeah. and it was absolutely like throwing it down. Yeah. And I was like, I need some waterproof. Because when you sat in a wheelchair and it yeah. rains, the water pools wow. in your lap. And this is a thing I never knew about wheelchairs, is that um, fashion in wheelchairs yeah. is really hard yeah. because you need to protect yourself from the elements. Yeah. And so I went to get some waterproofs and I was like, where have I got waterproofs? And then I remembered that when you're part of the British team, they give you everything that you need, yeah. kit-wise, and they gave me some waterproofs. And I got Matthew to go to the loft and get them down, yeah. and I found them. And I went, oh, Lucas, look, these are, my, these are Mummy's um, Team GB um, trousers. And I, I just thought, wow, that's a really mad thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because he, he won't know anything, yeah. and he'll just know me as Mummy. <laughs> But I was like, wow, I've just rem reminded myself in that little moment that I was on the world stage. What an amazing story. Thank you so much, Thank Carly. Thank you. Thanks for letting me tell it. I don't often tell it nowadays.